0: It's Tuesday, and that means the Your Money, Your Wealth webinar with Joan Bigel answering your questions live on camera is tomorrow, Wednesday, May 13th at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern. And you still have time to register to attend for free. Just go to the podcast show notes by clicking the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app and sign up. Today on the Your Money, Your Wealth podcast, it's a mixed bag of questions on everything from solo 401k contributions and inherited IRAs to house buying strategies to the fan favorite, ripping on annuities. And there's a healthy dose of Roth conversion planning thrown in the middle, of course. I'm producer Andy Last, and here with 12 I don't knows, four don't do it, three good ideas, and a little TMI are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA.
1: We got Dan. He writes in from San Diego. On the maximum solo 401k contributions of 63500 will that include spouses' contributions in any other IRA, such as SEP or Simples? In other words, should an aggregate check be done? So, all right. Well, solo 401k is basically a 401k plan for self employed individuals. Looks like Dan is self employed and he probably has his wife on the payroll. So the $63,500 Can you break that down?
2: Uh, sure. Yeah. So, well, first of all, an employee can put in nineteen thousand five hundred into four hundred one k plan, and uh, if you're if, if the employee is fifty and older, there's a sixty five hundred dollar catch up, so that gets to twenty six thousand. Now, when you're self employed, you can put the profit sharing portion in, Joe, which is up to twenty five percent of your of your profits. Uh, without regard to the to the 401k. So that's that's how you get to this 63,500 because the maximum for self-employed, now we're talking employee and employer, because remember you're both when you're self-employed. So it's 57,000 for 2020 and then $6,500 for the catch-up. So 63,500. So that's where that number comes from in the first place. You kind of have to have a lot of income, Joe, to be able to put that much in, but right. assuming that you do, because he, he referenced 63.5, Dan did, let's say, we'll assume he's over 50. So that would mean he could put in $26,000 of his own. And then he'd have to have quite a bit, you know, 25% of the of the difference close to $40,000. So it'd have to it'd be a lot of profit to be able to do that. But I will say the good news is it's separate from IRAs, SEPs and SIMPLEs However, there's a whole bunch of caveats. So one of which is first of all spouses don't count in this so that's that's a whole different calculation for the spouse and, and let's just say dan your spouse works for you then she could put in her own uh, contribution of 195 or 26,000 total of over 50 right. uh, plus plus she can do a profit sharing component for her as well if she has her own business then she can do her own thing right so she can then set up the plan It has nothing to do with your plan in that particular case but if it's an individual business you can only have a SEP or a simple IRA or a 401k you can't have a, you can't mix and match those But you can, Joe, you can have a regular IRA in any of those cases and still get to put money into that as well.
1: So if the wife works for him, the 63.5 is the maximum contribution for Dan. But if the wife works, she can do roughly the same if there's enough profits within the overall business.
2: Yeah, she would have to have a couple ways to do that. One is Dan would have to pay a really large salary to be able to do that. Or the second way, I've seen this happen before sometimes, is a, sole, a sole proprietorship, they set it up as a joint sole proprietorship, so the self-employment income is split 50-50, so that's a possibility too.
1: But at least she could put in $26,000 um, just as the 401k contribution for or hers and the ketchup if she's over 50.
2: Yeah, exactly. Assuming she has that much income. Right, right, right. So pay her
1: 26 grand and then
2: she, you know,
1: probably pay her 28 grand and then she could fund almost 100% of her paycheck dollar for dollar within the overall 401k plan.
2: Yeah. And the reason why, (laughs) Joe, you have to pay, let's say in this case, your spouse a little bit more than the 26 is because you have to have money uh, withheld from her pay for for social security and Medicare tax. uh, Yeah, payroll tax. Yep.
1: All right. uh, Good question, Dan. We got Helen writes in, Hi, Joe, Al, and Andy. My name is Helen. Hello, Helen. (laughs) Thank you for your service during the pandemic. I love listening to your show. All right, well, hopefully that puts a little smile on your face, Helen. I find the information very valuable. My question is that my husband passed and he had an IRA account, but I have to make a minimum withdrawal every year. How can I switch his account to my IRA account? Thank you and hope you stay safe. And healthy. All right, Helen. A couple things here. With the new CARES Act, there is no required distributions for 2020. So if it's an inherited IRA, you you would have to take the the distribution based on your life expectancy. You would could waive that. In the future, if you want to waive future RMDs from your husband's account, you could roll his account into yours. Uh, so that's just a custodial transfer. You would just take his account and just transfer it into your your, your account. So you would consolidate those two, two accounts just under your name. So if you're under 72, you would then avoid the required minimum distribution. If you're under 59 and a half, then you would not want to do that potentially because you would have zero access to the money until you turned over fifty nine and a half without that 10% penalty. So sometimes when spouse dies, they keep it in the deceased spouse's name. So they would have full access to the money without a 10% penalty, no matter how old they are. But if you're over 59 and a half in under 72, where you don't want to take the distribution, which sounds like this is the case, you can just then take his IRA and roll it into your IRA or transfer it into your IRA. So very, very easy to do. Very simple. You can just consolidate the accounts there. But this year, if you don't, don't want to do it right away or anything like that, there is no required distribution on an inherited IRA or your own IRA. So um, you're good to go. You wouldn't have to do it right away. Uh, but in the future, if you want to make it easier, just consolidate.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, Joe, what about the situation where Helen's older? Let's say her husband was 75 and she's 80. So then what would you suggest?
1: Well, then it would be if she rolls it. Then it, would, you know, the RMD is going to be bigger because the RMD is based on her life expectancy, right? So she would still have to take two RMDs, one on her life expectancy, depending on what her balance is, right? And then she would still have to take the one for the deceased husband based on his life expectancy. So if yeah, he, he kept it in his, right? He she still follows his RMD you know, through his life expectancy, if it keeps it in her name, but it's a spousal. Only spouses can roll their money together. So non-spouses cannot move their money together. So let me restate that now that I'm thinking about, yeah. So she kept it in his name as an inherited IRA, but she is, well, it depends on when he died, right? So if he died prior to his required beginning date, you could reset the RMD based on her life expectancy, at, but if she's older, she could keep his – that's a good question, Al. But yeah, it still think, doesn't really matter. I mean, we're splitting the hairs here. I think yeah, you're I just know. trying to quiz me.
2: <laughs> I am. I mean, secret <laughs> shopper. So. You're, you're, you're assuming that Helen married an older guy. You know, maybe she married a younger guy.
1: Well, Helen does sound sexy.
2: <laughs> it's a great name. <laughs> I don't know. And it, anyway, and I, but that I think the point is, you can when, when you're married, and your spouse passes, you can either keep it in your in your spouse's name or put it in your account. And the rules are going to be a little bit different depending upon what you decide to do. She also asked, "How does she do it?" That's just going to the um, brokerage house or bank and just just putting in your own name, right?
1: Yeah, basically. You know, or just if, if she has an IRA, she could put, just put it in her own. I think that's what she asked. How can I switch his IRA to my IRA account? So you would just do a transfer. Just say please consolidate the two accounts. Or if it's at ones at Fidelity and the other ones at Schwab, you would just get paperwork from the one with the deceased spouse and say I'm moving this into this account number. So right. If you need help, Helen, you know where to find us. Um, I can walk you through it. No big deal. Uh, We got Francine. My husband and I have been living in our daughter's rental house for about six years. Originally, the plan was to buy, but never did. We are in our 60s. Should we buy or what direction for estate planning should we go in? So
2: I'm not really (laughs) understand what the question is. Should you buy it? I don't know. Yeah, it depends if you want to or not. I mean, <laughs> let, let's, let's go over the reasons why people buy homes. They like, you know, pride of ownership. They feel like when they fix it up, it's their home. You know, maybe if it's your daughter's home, maybe you feel the same. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, another big reason why people buy is because of inflation. So you buy a home at a fixed cost and you have a fixed mortgage and inflation doesn't really change that except for property taxes and and of course maintenance on the property, but the mortgage payment stays the same. And you you talk to anyone that's lived in say California or a a state that has high appreciation that bought 20 years ago, 25 years ago, they're pretty happy they did because the mortgage payment is way lower than what the rent payment would be. Uh, On the other hand, maybe they got a great relationship with their daughter and their daughter's willing to rent it to them for the rest of their life, which could be another 30 years. I mean, but I guess if I'm them, if I have, yeah. well, them, we
1: don't what? even know if they're paying rent.
2: Yeah. We don't right? know that either, right? <laughs> they're,
1: they're, they're just freeloading on the daughter's rental house. Then, I mean, what's, what's kind of throwing me off is what direction for estate planning should we go? So if they were to pass, right, let's say in the next, 30 years so it's the daughter's house should we buy
2: it from the daughter maybe would that help with the state planning i don't well know. not not really estate planning but what what it could do like let's say let's say francine lives in a highly appreciating area and they own the home for 25 years let's just say and maybe, and maybe the daughter's going to inherit it after right uh,
1: yeah exactly
2: so, so if the parents own it, then when they pass, the daughter gets a step-up in basis, so there wouldn't be any taxation on sale. So that could be an advantage. As far as estate planning, there's, it's over an $11 million exemption per person, so that doesn't really apply to most people. Right. I think that's the only thing I could think of is, is, uh, is step-up in basis issues. And I think a lot of people don't really understand that, which is when you pass away your spouse uh, in California because it's a community property state, gets a full step up in basis, or if the both of you pass away, your kids get a full step up in basis. And what that means is like, let's say you bought the home for 200,000 and then uh, husband and wife pass away and the home is now worth a million. Let's just throw out an example. So now when the kids get it, their new tax basis is a million dollars. It's as if they paid a million dollars for this property. And so if they sold it for a million dollars, there's no gain or loss on sale. That's what a step up in basis is. And I will say one uh, thing to realize is when there is a husband or wife step up in basis, if you're in a non-community property state, which is most states, by the way, I think there's like, 11 or 12 that are community property, most in the West, although not completely. Um, if, if you're in a non-community property state and the first spouse passes, the surviving spouse only gets a 50% step up. In other words, for half of the property gets stepped up to the new value and the other half is, is whatever the old value was. So that, that's, maybe that's what she's talking about. Uh, but estate planning, a lot of times we think about that in terms of uh, state taxes, and I don't think that's going to be an issue here.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think so either. So I don't know if the daughter doesn't charge a rent, live in it.
2: Yeah, that's a good it's a good deal, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Go for it. But then uh, you have to be you have to be nice to your daughter for the next twenty-five years. Yeah, exactly. All right. We
1: got Frank writes in from doesn't say fifty K pension, two rental income, thirty-five K. Just married. Want to withdraw all one sixty of four K to buy a home. I know I'll pay the tax. Told 20%. What's a better strategy?
2: <laughs> Who the hell is Frank? Who's this guy? A better strategy is to not do it. Don't do See, it, Frank. Th- this is what, what happens. People think, okay, I get this money out of the 401k. I'll buy a house. I've heard the house is a tax deduction, so it'll offset the money from the 401k. No problem. The big problem. Because the money coming out of the 401k is fully taxable. And if you're under 59 and a half, there's a penalty to boot. And if you live in California, you've got a California penalty as well. And so when you add those two, the penalties and the taxes to the states uh, and the feds, it's at least in California, it's usually at least a 50% tax. So you pull out 160, put that into the house, and then you got a bill for $80,000 on April 15th. It's not a good idea.
1: Right. I mean, it's 20. He's in the 22% federal tax bracket because he just got married. I don't know what his wife makes if he pulls a 160 out, right? So you got 50,000 pension plus the rental income plus the 160. So you add all that up, you got 22% federal tax plus another 10% state tax. If he's under fifty-nine and a half, it's another 10%, right? So now you're at 40 some odd percent. So, right. He's going to owe $80,000 or $60,000 next year. What's he going to do? Where's he going to come up with the cash to pay the tax?
2: It's going to go back to the 401k. Well, he doesn't have
1: it? anymore. He's, he's going to blow out of the thing. And th- guess uh, what is his, his, his wife that just married him is going to divorce his ass and take half the house. So he's, yeah. He's totally screwed. That's what happens when you blow out of your retirement account.
2: So, what's a
1: better strategy? What's a better? Don't do it.
2: A better strategy is to uh, buy the home with whatever money you have for a down payment, finance the rest. We got really low interest rates. Just do it that way.
1: He's got two rental income, thirty-five thousand bucks. Maybe you take some leverage out, and then have the renters pay. You know, take a loan out at low interest rates. Right? If he's got rental income. Then that rental income can pay for the the debt service. He can put a down payment down. I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of ways, but it's kind of what's a better strategy? You know, throwing it at me like I'm some kind of jackass. All right. We got (laughs) to listen to
0: this show. In the podcast show notes, I've shared our estate plan organizer for Francine and 10 tips for real estate investors for Frank, and for you too. Click that link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to access the full transcript and all of the free financial resources that are waiting for you. If you've got money questions, click the Ask Joe and Al on Air banner in the podcast show notes and send them on in. Or better yet, register for tomorrow's YMYW webinar there in the podcast show notes, and Joe and Big Al will answer your questions in real time, live on campus. If you're listening to this afternoon Pacific on Wednesday, May 13th, the webinar already happened, but unless it was an unmitigated disaster, we will probably do it again. So be sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss the next live YMYW webinar.
1: Hi, Joan Al. I recently started listening to your podcast and I really enjoy it. All right. Thank you, Monica. I know that Roth conversions are a hot topic and for the most part, recommended on your show. What do you mean for the most part? That's all we recommend.
0: <laughs> I think I do recall there was one time where you actually said, don't do a Roth conversion in this case.
2: Uh, there's been multiple times where I said Roth conversions would make zero sense. I, t- I told you, Joe, someone from my church calls me Dr. Roth. So I guess <laughs> we do talk about it a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, because it's... they keep asking us questions on it. I know, right? Uh, I have a question. Our household income falls Into the 37% tax bracket, and we are about 10 years from retirement, we have some Roth money, but the bulk 65% of our savings is pre-tax. 65%, that's not that bad. We usually see like 90% in pre-tax. Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly.
1: Um, One would assume that we will be in a much, much lower tax bracket, but we are convinced that taxes will slide up. We are unable to contribute directly to a Roth IRA. So this past year, we started to fully fund our Roth 401ks to avoid commingling pre-tax and post-tax, non-deductible IRA money. However, there is a small amount of non-deductible IRA money sitting in an IRA already. Would you suggest that someone falling in the 37% tax bracket convert now Since the market is down significantly, our portfolio is down 22%. I guess it seemed to make sense to convert now and pay taxes on a lower value. What are your thoughts? Thanks so much.
0: Even I know the answer to this one.
1: What is the answer? What is is the answer? Do
0: it. Do it, do it, do it. Right?
1: I don't know. 37%? (laughs) I need more information. How much money does Monica have? Right? I don't know. How does she know that she's going to be in the twenty-two percent tax bracket? What type of tax projection?
0: No, no, no. In? She said her portfolio is down twenty-two percent. Oh, her or portfolio
2: she... is down twenty-two percent. She's in the thirty-seven percent. I, think. I mean, it it depends. The, the the real answer is it depends on how much is how much in the is IRA. in the
1: retirement account. Then you can kind of look at is she going to even sniff the thirty-seven percent tax bracket in retirement?
2: Yeah. But you know, I guess in a in a case like this, when they're when I guess they're in a thirty seven percent tax bracket, that's that's as high as it can go, plus state. So you definitely want to be careful. This is an example of when you're careful and doing conversions. Now, on the other hand, let's just say, uh, let's see, see. if you're in the
1: thirty seven percent tax bracket, they're making over five hundred grand, and for individuals making over five hundred thousand, hopefully they have money's saved in 401k accounts. Right. Yeah. And so I'm not sure how old she is, but let's see if there's significant, they're 10 years from
0: retirement.
1: I don't know. I mean, if there was like a couple million dollars in the overall retirement account and they want to retire in 10 years, then I might consider. You're running away
0: from your microphone, Joe.
1: I'm, I got like shirts itching my back. Sorry. That was probably too much
2: information there, but I haven't showered in like two weeks um no
0: that was tmi
2: and i was uh, i was watching this whole thing on video too. it's like man what are you doing jeez i mean <laughs> yeah, a good, i forgot good thing. we're on video good good thing know, this I, was, is, I was
1: gonna take my pants off you know <laughs> <laughs> it's a
2: good thing this is radio only a <laughs> podcast
0: It's only you and I who 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 have to be offended, Al. I was digging there. I was. was, Well, I (laughs) I I
2: would say like let's say most of the pre tax is in in a 401 k, and if the IRA is small and there's some pre tax, go ahead and convert it, get it over with, (laughs) right? Then you can do some backdoor Roth, which would be cool. Uh, but generally, the premise Joe is right, which is even in a high bracket, if you convert down while the market's down and the recovery happens in the roth, then that tax rate doesn't seem nearly as bad, so we you know that's 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 one way you can look at it,
0: yeah.
1: And then you could also journal shares too. If you got an IRA, let's say that you have other asset classes in your IRA. So the, the, the entire portfolio is down 22%, right? But maybe uh, Monica's has other positions that's down more than 22%, right? Because as an aggregate, if the portfolio is down 22%, I would imagine some are down less than 22% and some are down more than 22%. So maybe you journal the shares of the stocks or, or mutual funds or whatever that you're holding that's down more. You can just journal those shares into the overall Roth IRA if it's IRA to Roth IRA. So there's multiple different kind of planning opportunities that you have here, but this is a little dicey. You're in the 37% tax bracket. The portfolio is down 22, but you give us no other information, right? I mean, we, we've met people that are in the 37% tax bracket too, Al, and they have 50 grand saved and they're 60. Right. You know what I mean? And they don't live
2: lavishly. (laughs) That's what they tell us. So in that case, do not convert because you're going to be in a really low bracket (laughs) in a few years. Right. So there's a little bit more planning
1: involved. And so I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. See? Wow. Right there. Oh, look at at that. Very cool. Until I probably get more information, then then I'd probably say yes. Right. Okay, so we got Jackson, again, from NYC. So taking advantage of us, are you, Jackson? (laughs) Uh, He goes, thanks for the very informative show and for answering my last question about pulling Roth contributions from my Roth 403B that were rolled into a Roth IRA. My next follow-up question is, if you can go over how one would decide if they should be contributing to a pre-tax versus Roth in their workplace retirement accounts. My wife and I are in the 22% tax bracket and we have access to two 403Bs and one 457, all of which could be either pre-tax Roth or a mix of both. Uh, With doing a mix of Roth and pre-tax, I think we can stay in the 22% tax bracket for quite some time. At retirement, my wife will have a pension that is projected to be around 40 or 50K in today's dollars. However, that is still about 20 years away. Thanks again. Okay, Jackson. So a lot of things that we're missing here. I would want to know, well, if you're, if you're fully funding two 403Bs and a 457 and you have 20 years left to retirement, and how long were you funding those? You're going to have a ton of money in yeah. retirement
2: accounts. Yeah, we're talking millions.
1: Right. So I, I want to know how much money that you have in retirement accounts right now to determine you know what is the appropriate mix right because I would probably max out more Roths if I had a ton of money in a retirement account he 's in the twenty two percent tax bracket there 's going to be pension social security and a big chunk of money that 's coming out i don 't know I like Roth yeah so with 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 the very limited information yeah, yeah. we
2: know right so here 's what we know that jackson 's wife 's pension will be forty to fifty thousand let 's say it 's fifty grand and let's let 's say between the two of them their social security will be fifty. Just to make up a number? If she has social security, because there are 403 three B's. Oh, that's true. She may not have it. So let's call it thirty. So thirty plus fifty, so that's eighty. Not all of the social security is taxable. You know, so now you're you're set in the seventy, call it seventy-five thousand. Right? Like you say, we don't know how much in RMDs already, uh, or, or what they're what, what's in the accounts right now for future RMDs. So that would be nice to know. Basically the answer is you look at tax brackets today versus in the future, and we'd need a lot more information to know that. Yeah. So I think if he's saving that much, yeah. Chance, chances are, if if he's saving that much, and and it's in pre tax, it's going to be a large required minimum distribution. Yeah. So you might want to get more in the Roth, but we'd have to know more information.
1: And he probably gave us that information in his previous email, and I, I forgot. Yeah, totally forgot. Sorry, Jackson. Um, but yeah, that's what you want to. Leave. Your thought process is right on. It's kind of figuring out, okay, well, how much money do I have right now? And what's my mix? What percentage do I have in pre-tax versus Roth right now? Yeah. If it's heavily weighted for pre-tax, you probably want to heavily weight, right? Then you got the time value money, compounding tax free. Tax rates probably are going to go up. And I don't know. I think that's what I would look at. So uh, we got David from Gerard, Ohio. Correct. Thank you. Um, hi, Joan, Big Al. Uh, my favorite episode from your YouTube channel is Joe's 40th birthday episode. Oh, that was a long <laughs> that was just last long, week, long, long <laughs> time ago. Uh, cars. I was, I was in my 50s back then. Oh, yeah, <laughs> cars, cakes, and financial wisdom does not get much better than that. Uh, my question is: What are your thoughts on Roth conversions when someone is getting the? Affordable Care Act subsidies. Hey boy, gotta go there, David. Is it better to wait until you're 65 to start converting in order to get the maximum subsidy, or is getting the money out of the tax deferred into a tax-free more important long-term? Assume subsidy does not end until 2024, and I realize the tax law sunsets in 2025. Um.
0: Uh, <laughs> Choosing your I'll, words carefully.
2: I, I'll give I'll give the correct answer and then you can refute it. So so the way you think about this, David, is is you you look at like if you did a Roth conversion and you look at the reduction in your subsidy, then you just consider that an extra tax. And I'll give you a super simple example. Like let's say your your tax is is ten thousand bucks, right? And your and your and if you do a Roth conversion, your your extra tax is. 10,000 bucks and you and you lose a $6,000 subsidy, okay? So now you got to treat it as if your tax was 16,000 instead of 10. You compare that to your Roth conversion amount to figure out the effective rate. And of course that's federal only. You got to look at state as well. In my experience, if you if you're losing your subsidy, particularly if you go off the cliff where you lose roughly half to go to zero, it doesn't make sense to do Roth conversions until you're 65, unless you go big, unless you do a gigantic Roth conversion, perhaps to the top of the twenty four percent bracket, to where that extra, that lost subsidy isn't that much tax relative to your total conversion. What do you think? That's a <clears throat> that's one way to look at it. <laughs> that's the correct answer. <laughs> That's the non-political answer. That's the answer where you try to put your affairs in the best possible situation to save taxes. But I think tax rates are going to go a
1: lot higher. I think that you have to take a look at how much money that you have in these retirement accounts to determine what that, what, what the number's going to be. Yeah, and I guarantee you, David's got a ton of money in retirement accounts yeah. because he's, he's asking the question.
2: <laughs> he's, he's run the numbers. The guy's an engineer, guaranteed. But I have seen folks do a little Roth conversion and they, their subsidy goes from 6,000 to zero and, and their, their Roth tax is a thousand bucks, maybe on a $10,000 conversion. And then they lost a $6,000 subsidy. So they paid 7,000 tax for a 10,000 conversion.
1: Well, then they shouldn't do a conversion.
2: That's what I'm saying.
1: I'm, I'm with run, you. you run the but you, you know, you and I have met with over the years. Yeah. People with millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. That are trying to game the system. With doing the subsidies and this yeah. and that, and'm like but that 's how it was set up, right, I guess, yeah, yeah. follow the rules yep I'm with you, okay, uh, we got David Kansas City, Missouri, righty, yo
0: once before, and signed it p v so this is p v now known as David
1: what the hell are you talking
0: about? do you remember we had an email from somebody a few weeks back named p v no. <laughs> Well, that was David.
2: So He, he makes up names. Every question, yes. different name.
1: Oh, so you're, you're doing your spy stuff, right? You're doing your, no. your investigative reporting he, here? He,
0: he says here, read on. He actually refers to it.
1: Oh, okay. Well, Jeez. <laughs> right. Yo, Andy and the boys. Thank you for answering my previous question. I died laughing at your interpreted 35 yo because it's years old. I remember that. Yes, I do remember this email now. Right. I'm 35, yo. 35, yo. Uh, (laughs) As a slang, relaxed personality. I live in Kansas City, Missouri, and I have yet another question for you. I was told there's an extension for IRA contributions but not conversions. I'm still designating contributions as 2019 contributions since they have not contributed $12,000 yet. I am contributing after tax dollars to my traditional IRA, then backdoor rothing it. Uh, the contribution is a 2019 contribution, but the conversion is 2020. Is that bad, Yao? <laughs> Love it. Yo. Um,
2: no, you're all good, Yao. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fine. It's all good. So, the, the, the contribution limp <laughs> dates got extended to July 15th along with the tax return filing date. So, you can still do a 2019 contribution. You could do a 2019 and a 2020 contribution, all non deductible, and do the conversion. Yeah. That, that's right. And it doesn't matter when you do the conversion, whether it was 19 or 20, because it's got basis in it. There's no tax. I don't care when you do it. Doesn't matter, yo. Yeah. So, so <laughs> if you do the contribution right now it can be for 2019 the conversion will be in 2020 but it won't cost you any money because you got tax basis there you go the only thing that um it's it, just a contribution screw a little bit yeah couple well, bucks. There'd be a little tax
1: there right you it'd bet. just be a few bucks all right david uh, appreciate it yo
0: appreciate the question Once you've figured out your Roth contribution and conversion strategies, you need to know how and when you can take the money out with the least amount of financial pain. If you haven't yet downloaded our guide to the five-year rules for Roth IRA withdrawals, do it now. It lays out the confusing five-year Roth clocks and tells you what you can and can't do in an easy-to-read format based on your age and circumstances. Then pass that guide on to someone else and tell them you got this great information from Joe and Big Al and that they really should subscribe to the Your Money, Your Wealth podcast. You know, maybe you don't tell them that Joe doesn't shower for weeks at a time, though. Let them figure that out for themselves.
1: Got a question from Perry in Jersey. He goes, my silly salutation. Okay. Good start. (laughs) That's a great (laughs) start. Uh, Dear sirs, uh, the sales pitches for annuities are always, you cannot lose money on down years, and on up years, you get X percent of the index gains. Dividends are perhaps 20% of stock ownership benefits, and it seems the insurance man always gets those dividends. Am I all wet, or am I correct? Why are we never told this by anyone? Even you guys, you're loyal and obedient service, looking for another reason to hate the insurance man, Perry in Jersey.
0: Notice he actually said, use guys. <laughs> News guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that.
0: And actually it's funny he mentions this because we actually just talked about this subject.
1: Was it Perry that called No, him? that that was Dudley. 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 Perry. <laughs> and then, um who's the guy that says Jersey that writes about Bruce him? and Joycey. Oh Bruce. Yeah, got it. Um <clears throat> all National. right. So do we want to go through this whole thing again?
2: Well, I think we we, we have to. We it was, it was asked. Uh, yes. This sounds like a good topic for you, Joe. I'm just going to sit back and listen.
1: Well, I mean, I think a lot of people are getting this, right? When the markets are volatile, I think this is when these become very popular. You might hear a lot of um, advertisements, a lot of pitches in regards to fixed indexed annuities or uh, equity indexed annuities or whatever Um, that they're called nowadays. Basically, the sales pitch is just as Perry is discussing. He's like, you can get stock market-like returns with no downside risk. Um, That is not even close to true um, because they're they're trying to basically get you a little bit higher rate than a standard fixed annuity. And the fixed annuity rates are based on the general ledger of the overall insurance company. So, you're looking at like CD rates, maybe a little bit more than a CD rate. Um, What an equity index or fixed index annuity? they can't even call them equity index annuities. I think that's what they used to call them because they had the term equity in there. It was misleading. So, now they call it fixed index annuities. Um, And so, yes, the the, the growth is tied to an index of some sort, but it's not like you're – you're buying into stocks. You, you don't even own any stocks at all. It's a derivative. You're buying a bond, and it has call and put options with on the bond. So if the market does go up, you participate in some of whatever call option that they're purchasing. So it's, it's based on participation rates. It's based on spreads. It's based on um, all sorts of different things that you have to make sure that you take a look at. And and Perry's right. You're not getting the dividend because you don't even own the stock. You own an option. That's all it is. So if markets go up, you can participate a little bit in the upside of the overall market. So there's also, let's say, um, when it comes to participation rates. So if the market goes up 10%, you might only participate, let's say, in uh, 50% of that. So you get uh, 5%. But then there's also caps on top of that, where you cannot make more than any, more than, I don't know, 3%, 4%, 5% a month. Uh, so, So there's so many different rules and regulations in regards to these overall products. And it's all based on what the insurance company really wants to do. They control the contracts. They can change the rules at any time. But the salespeople are out there pitching that you can get market returns with no downside risk. There's no loss involved here, right? You can participate and get a nice, great return, and you'll never lose your money. I mean, it's just pure BS. So uh, be very careful with that. You're not investing in any type of, this is not an investment too, by the way. That's another thing. If someone is pitching this to you as an investment, it's not, it's insurance. It's it's a risk-free asset because the insurance company's guaranteeing it. So if it's risk-free in regards to that, Can you anticipate equity type returns? The answer is no. If you want a bond alternative that is fixed in regards to, yes, you can't lose money because it's guaranteed by the insurance company, right? Then sure, purchase it, but just know that you're going to pay a ton of commission and that you're locked up and it's inflexible for many, many years. So you just have to pick your battles or understand what you're getting at. So Perry's, point is that it's the sales pitches are more or less it's caught is it's in a um in equity it's not and not even close it's it's a fixed product it's an insurance product um you're you're transferring your risk to the insurance company and they're going to pay you a rate of return they're going to pay you the least amount of return that they possibly can uh, because that's how capitalism works you know but I want to buy something, I want to buy it at the lowest possible. If I'm selling something, I want to sell it at the highest possible. So if I'm an insurance company, would I ever offer anyone equity returns with no risk? I mean, they'd be out of business, right? I mean, it wouldn't make any sense. Here, I'll, we'll take on all the risk. We'll give you, you know, if the market does 12%, I'll give you 12. But if the market loses 20, you don't lose a dime. I mean, right? It's, so just be careful out there.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and however the income comes to you, uh, which actually it's more in the nature of interest income, it doesn't matter. It's inside the annuity. And once it comes out to you, it's, it's, it's depending upon how you take it out, whether it's annuitized or not, it's either 100% ordinary income or it's a ratio between ordinary income and return of capital. So I, I would say two, two quick benefits. One is you don't lose money. Unless the insurance company goes broke. So that's that's true. And the second thing is, it's like insurance, you're insuring against a super long life. If you live a super long life, you'll kind of be glad you have something like this. But for the most of the people, these are these are kind of rigged to benefit the insurance companies. If you look at a whole collection of people all at once.
1: Right. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, but this is an equity index annuity. So it's a little bit different than let's say like a immediate annuity where it's pooled money, where they're going to automatically give you an income stream for the rest of your life. This is a deferred annuity where they're pitching that you're going to receive stock market returns with no downside risk. And then that potentially there could be an income benefit rider on it. I don't know. Uh, but just be careful out there, uh, you know, understand what what, what you're getting into. Uh, appreciate the question, Perry. We got Martin from Canyon Lake, California. He writes in, Dear YMYW team, love your podcast, but. Uh-oh, question mark. How many question marks? That's 1,000. 30. It's a it's a <laughs> lot of question marks. Just finished listening to your podcast where a listener was comparing a bond ladder to an annuity. Oh, boy. Well, I agree with what you say. Most of the time, comparing a risk transfer asset to a bond ladder seems wrong. Maybe this is as much a comment as it is a question. I hate most annuities, with the possible exception of a SPIA, single premium immediate annuity is what uh, Martin is referring to, uh, to help cover an income floor. But comparing these two things seem wrong. One is an investment tool. One is insurance. Maybe on a future episode, you could break down how someone could break uh, break down where to position your assets to cover needed expenses versus wants, at least from a 20,000-foot level. Thanks again for a great podcast, Martin, from Canyon Lake, California, near Temecula, in case you care. Of course we care, yeah, Martin. Big time we care. <laughs> okay. Um, Martin, I agree with you 100%. And maybe... The, 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 that person wanted me to compare an annuity to a bond ladder, and you're right, I probably missed the biggest component of that, is that an annuity is not an investment at all. And so, f- by comparing an annuity to an investment was wrong in regards for me not to disclose it up front that an annuity should never be considered in, an investment, even though most insurance agents will consider it a, an investment. It's insurance. An annuity is insurance. So, you're absolutely right. When you're talking about a um, single premium immediate annuity, uh, so that means that you're going to give an uh, insurance company a lump sum in response to a guaranteed income for the rest of your life. I like those um, as well. Um, that's probably the only annuity that Alan and I would um, agree with. Um, in certain circumstances. So it, 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 it really depends. Um, You know what? I'll, I'll bust this out for you. We'll, we'll do a show. We'll talk about it a little bit more uh, because we are running out of time today. Well, Andy, thank you very much. Stay thank safe. you, Joe. All That's it for us. We'll see you next week. Show us Your Money, Your Wealth.
0: As if there weren't enough in the episode itself, stick around to the very end for some derails today. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888 994 6257 and schedule a free financial assessment video conference with a certified financial planner from Pure. That's 888 994 6257 or click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information. Contained in the Broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.
2: Sharon, you've been very nice emailing me. Just hang on. You're, we didn't quite get to this podcast, but probably next one. <laughs> you know, we're skipping that one. I, know that. It's <laughs> <good> one. <laughs> so.
0: I consider you a rock star, Al.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's why I like ugh, yep. the pet stars. Never heard of Gerard, Ohio.
0: Have you been to Ohio?
2: I have not. Actually, I have been to Cincinnati. I have been to Ohio. You know
0: what? So am I. I've been to Cincinnati. We've
2: been to Ohio.
1: Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to Ohio when there was like a ton of like crazy ass bugs. (laughs) There's a a season. There's a season. Yeah. A bug season. I I, I guarantee this uh, David knows exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, it was like stuff like fell from the sky. Really? It rained bugs.
2: Wow. And I, I went, I can't remember whether it was December, January, February. Beautiful. It was green, no bugs at all. It didn't rain bugs? No. No. It rained water. <laughs> it rained water. <laughs> oh, that's weird.
1: Only in Ohio. Thank what are you, you guys
0: watching? Anything good? I'm not. I'm practicing music, trying to get better at my chops on the drums.
1: How's it going?
0: Pretty much sucks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, I'm having a good time.
2: There you go. Al, you binging anything? Uh, yeah, let's see. I think we watched several episodes of The Tiger King, but we sort of got bored of that. Tiger King. What's the What's the one on the on the guys from Ireland, Scotland on soccer? We, we watched that. I forget the name of that one. That's on Netflix. That one was pretty good. Isn't that a movie? No, it's a series. Seven, series, seven episodes. Oh, they created soccer. Yeah. Or football. Yeah, food. football. 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 Yeah. yeah, anyway, that one was good. I forget the name of it. Huh. That sounds pretty boring. <laughs> it, was, it was actually pretty good.